When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Russell from the Brighton Rock Podcast. Welcome to this latest episode. I went down the pub in Finchley to meet up with Billy Grant, known also as Billy the Bee, who is a podcaster of several years and a Brentford fan for many years. In the first part of a two-parter we're doing this week, uh, Billy talked about his history supporting Brentford, the advent of Bissotted, the forum, the blog, the fanzine, and then later the uh, podcast. And he talks about the rise of Brentford into the Premier League, where they now proudly sit. In the second part, stay tuned for that later in the week, he'll be talking England, he's an avid England fan, uh, about racism in football um, and other subjects, and also his predictions for the game at the weekend when we go to New Griffin Park for the first time. So stay tuned for that later in the week, but in the meantime, here is the first part. So I am now joined by the legend amongst the Bradford fan base. A podcaster, England fan extraordinaire as well, Mr. Billy Grant, known as Billy the Bee. Hello, Billy. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, hi. How are you doing? Yeah. It's, it's good to good to. I'll tell you something. It's good to be in the pub, yeah. doing a podcast again. Absolutely. That's right. Cheers. Cheers to that. As well, because there's been 18 months. Um, <laughs> if you don't check, we besotted podcasts, as you say, Pride of West dot London, and we've been doing our podcast in the pub for seven, eight years now. Yeah. And we actually really look forward to Wednesdays, going down the pub, talking for two hours before you actually switch your microphone on. And then you start talking about Brentford and then you switch your microphone off and then you start talking. You turn the pub and before you get home at like two o'clock in the morning or something on a Wednesday night. And it's been brilliant. But uh, I've missed that because 18 months of pandemic and everything like that. It's just cut that all out. And so it's actually nice. And when you said to me, listen, let's go down the pub and let's just talk about Brighton and Brentford and football and whatever. I just thought, wee. <laughs> It's got to be why done. Not, why not? Yeah, it was difficult getting a, a, a sort of thing of range, but we, here we are in Bohemia, in uh, North Finchley. Haven't been in here for a while, but it's good, good to be back here as well. Nice beers as well. That's always, right. It always makes things better, doesn't that's it? That's right. That's yeah. right. So, um, yeah, I mean, for anyone that doesn't know who you are, I mean, you've popped up on quite a few 
um, podcasts, radio shows, and various other things because obviously Brentford are in the focus at the moment. First time you've been in the Premier for is it four, 74 years, I think it is. Yeah, 74 years, yeah. 1947. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's just. Uh... We'll, we'll talk about that, that storyline a little bit later on, but um, obviously, for that reason, you've been in the public eye quite a bit. It's great to get you on as well. And um, been hearing you, we're saying you talk for England pretty much, which is great. So you're ideal for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let, let, me, let me go back to the beginning. Where did it all start for you as a Brentford fan? Because you've been a lifelong fan, presumably. Yeah. When did it all begin? Well, I mean, if you, again, you know, I know, you know, the, 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 I know the South Coast very well because I actually used to live in Brighton. I used to actually live in Falmer, opposite where your stadium oh, is. Right. Yeah, I, went to, I went to uni there, so that was my hitchhiking spot. But that's a separate <laughs> run-in. So, so sort of bringing it back to the people who live in Brighton, we don't necessarily know London as well as, as others do. I actually live or was born in a place called Isleworth, which is about a mile down the road from uh, from Brentford. Yeah. Um, uh, when you're young, you know, you go and you know, I didn't really sort of dabble too much in football or in the Brentford football. You know, you just liked whatever you saw on TV and everything like that. And it was only when I was uh, still still like you know still in school, still early school days, and I was playing football in the park down the road just from a house as you do because back in the days you know kids used to go out and play football all day and then come home at five o'clock at night or six o'clock at night and have dinner and go to bed that's what you used to do so yeah. you're out with all the kids playing football on this, on this uh, school playground Marlborough school and um, this girl Joanne all of a sudden she's, I remember I remember just being oh she's an older girl you think oh she's really big she's really old but she's probably only about three years older maybe <laughs> three or four years and she said oi who wants to go to Brentford then and all these like little young lads yeah. are all playing football and about three or four of us said, uh, Will, what's that then? You know, just come with me. So three or four of us left the football, and she basically, her and her mate Anne Helwig, they walked us down the road, down, down the road, down London Road, and walked us all the way to Brentford, it's Griffin Park, which is about a mile yep. down the road. And then we, when we got there, there's this um, gatekeeper, you know, turnstile operator, character called Paddy. And she says, oi, Paddy, you know, I've got a few here, just let them in. So he said, right, there you go, bunked us over the turnstiles. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. So she got us in and then she walked us up to the Royal Oak and walked in. And I was like, whoa, this yeah. is amazing. Because I thought Brentford at the time, because you know, you don't know you're young. I literally thought it was, uh, you know, it's in the third division. So it wasn't like Man United or Leeds or Chelsea or anything like that. I thought it was literally a pitch with a rope around the side. And some people yeah. used to just go and watch a game. And when I walked in, we had this massive stand called the Royal Oak, which again, some old school Brighton fans probably remember it. It was, a, it was, it was huge. It probably held about, I don't know, 8,000 or five, six, I don't know, but it was really, really big. And I think it was about 8,000. And, uh, and so I walked into the Royal Oak, and all of a sudden I've seen all these people there. I mean, to me, it's probably loads of people, but yeah. the crowd was probably only about five or 6,000 at those days, you know, probably not even that, you know, and then they had the ticker tape, which they, they spent all their time tearing up ticker tape because it was just after uh, World Cup um, 78, I think it was, which is uh, World Cup 78, which was in Argentina. So they, they had the ticker tape that went up the air. So a few years after that, the kids were still doing that. And I was thinking, this is brilliant because you've got loads of kids, all got tip bags with ticker tape. They're all running around just being a bit boisterous and talking to each other. So that was it, I was sold. So after that, I became a Brentford fan. Fantastic. That's a great story, isn't it? As you said, those numbers, it might not sound big, but at the time, as a young kid, you know, you're, you're looking around, you're not used to seeing those sort of numbers in one place, are you? No. That's one of the things about football, the attractiveness of it. And then that surreal element of this big, pristine patch of grass, um, which is just perfectly kept, perhaps, in those days, maybe maybe not, where the football takes place. And those particular elements, we talked time and time again with Albion fans have had on the show, talking about their first experiences, pipe smoke, uh, tobacco, smell of burgers, onion, fried onions, and yeah, there's, there's about crumbling terraces or all those sort of things, and taking a, a drawer or a, 
milk crates or something to stand on. It's all those kind of, they're cliches a bit in a way, but they, they are true. That is pretty much how it went yeah, back no, then, wasn't it? It was, definitely. And the thing is that, you know, you were just, it, it was what it was, you know. Yeah. I mean, again, as, as Brentford, you know, in, in the local area for me, you know, Fulham were, were, I think they were top, they might be, no, actually, they might have been down the second division at that stage. Which year so was this? Yeah, this is early 80s. Early you 80s. Know, so Fulham was sort of kind of, yeah, second division. Yeah. Chelsea obviously were, you know, flying, yeah. even though they did drop down a few years later. And uh, and, uh, and you've got Fulham as well. And you've got Fulham, Chelsea, and QBR as well. Who, I think QBR, I think they might have been, I don't know, they might have been top flight. Like, I mean, I've got no idea where they were at the moment at that time. But I think they were, yeah, they were, they were top division yeah. as well. So you had those other teams, and then yep. you had us, who we were definitely the poor West London neighbour. We were definitely the team <laughs> that, you know, that no one really wanted to support. And if you supported Brentford, you were a little bit of a, and I don't want to really do a freak, but you were a little bit of a kind of like, you know, you were, you were out there, because you were definitely not doing it yeah. for the glory hunting at all. Yeah. You, and, and most people that supported Brentford really were from the local area. They were from Hounslow, they were from Isleworth, they were Twickenham, they were, you know, all those kind of areas, the areas that supported Brentford, because, you know, there was no other reason to support this kind of, at the time before I, they were fourth division. Yeah. I didn't see them in the fourth division, but I, I saw them when they came into third division. And no one wanted to support a sort of pretty average, pretty terrible third division team. Because we were, as football-wise, you yeah. know, except for the people that lived there, because we loved it. You know, we loved the terraces, we loved the laughs, we loved the singing, we loved the whatever used to happen on the day and the night and the games, <laughs> and you just loved all of that. And the, the football was um, was secondary or even yeah. tertiary to it's everything. Been, it's been said a million times before, hasn't it? That, um Football, it's a, it's a great day out sport by 90 minutes of football, isn't it? <laughs> Quite often that's the case. Keep, yeah. keep, it, fo- keep football out of football is what we say. <laughs> the football ruins the football. Definitely. Football day out. Um, and we've seen, I mean, you've, you've seen it with lockdown. Yeah, the, the, the amount of people have just been desperate to get back to, as, and also to what you just said here with the pubs as well, with the podcast. Getting back to the social side of it, which is what I, I suspect, and well, from what you said, it is a big part of what it's about for you. It certainly is for me. I think it is for most fans, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. No. Certainly proper fans, die our fans. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Listen, 100%. And the thing is, I'm not taking anything away because I go football home and away. I've been, you know, everywhere, all over the place, and I love it. I do realise, because I try to put my my my, 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 my diplomatic heads on sometimes, I know that there's actually a lot of people out there that, to be honest with you, they don't go to matches mm. and they don't follow and watch football like what we do. And the thing about it is that I think I actually realised this a lot more during the lockdown yeah. when you were forced to watch football on TV, yeah. which was a real novelty for the first two weeks. But then after that, yeah. it actually got a bit of a pain in the ass, and you wanted to switch it up a little bit. You wanted to have the option to go to the stadium if you wanted to or watch it on TV if you wanted to. If you could, you know, if you, it's always really convenient if you can't make the game. So yeah. if you can't go to an away game because you just because of work or because of whatever, all of a sudden you think, because that game's on, this is really fantastic. But the fact is, forced on you every single week for me actually kind of started to get me down after a while. And I, I actually started to think to myself, I thought, God, I, I don't know how people can do this. There's some people that watch football like this their whole life. They only watch football on TV. They do not go to, to, to the games. And the thing about it is, is we, you know, we as fans go, yeah, yeah, this is the way it should be. But it's the majority of people that watch on TV. Yeah. It's probably about 95% of the people watch it on TV, and we are actually the minority. And that's the really, that's the quite sad thing about it. And I think that's the reason why TV companies and the authorities, to a certain extent, um, kind of like 
players a little bit of lip service, but just kind of just do what they have to do to keep us happy, the fans on the terraces, because they know that the, the, the numbers are larger on the TV. But the problem is that they have is that when we get on the terraces, we can actually say things and do things and affect what's happening on TV and we start to demonstrate yeah. on TV, that's when they get really scared. So that's when they realise actually we need to keep these guys happy because they need to be jumping on the terraces for the TV people to be happy. Because yeah. if they're not jumping on the terraces or if they don't exist like they did in lockdown, then things aren't as good. So um, so yeah, that's my little um, fans, this is this is for the fans little section anyway. Definitely, yes. Yeah. And I, I, I do agree with you. I think I've, there was a guy I was chatting to the other day, he's a Man United fan, Southern Man U fan. And he said, who do you support? And I said, Brian. And he goes, Brian, so why, why, oh man, you should be supporting a big sex team. Why? What are you talking about? There's so many people, I know it's, it's been done before, that kind of conversation. But it's so depressing, isn't it? But there are a lot of people who are just in it for the, effectively, the brand. Yeah. They, they're just buying to the brand of a football club. And they're not really proper football fans. They might enjoy football, but they're not proper football fans in terms of going to games and yeah, yeah. that's what I love and that's that's what I like to get into with this yeah. podcast I know you do with yours as well yeah. to talk to real fans yeah, like yeah. at the games talking yeah. to people yeah. and, and experiences as well and it's, yeah. it's yeah, we're randomly talking we've never met before today yeah. two yeah. random strangers chatting in a pub about football yeah. I know we kind of arranged it but yeah. quite often this is a spontaneous scenario yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't it that happens up and yeah. down the country yeah. on match days and sometimes off match days as yeah. well yeah. which is great Definitely. so so, so yes, yeah, so Billy, you've, you've been um, involved with this sorted podcast, which has been going on for quite some time. I've noticed you've got something like seven hundred and fifty odd, or seven hundred fifty plus episodes yeah. uh, to your name. Were you in it in that from the start? And when did Besotted come into the equation in general? Because that was a fanzine, wasn't it originally? Yeah, I think, yeah. and also a forum, fans forum. Yeah, yeah. T- tell us about that. So Besotted actually started by Dave Lane in uh, in uh, nineteen ninety as well. So he's your co-host. Isn't yeah, he? so yeah, yeah, he's a co-host on so, the podcast. So so yeah. so Laney got involved and he basically started Besotted like years and years ago. Started off as a printed fanzine. I, he had his besotted, you know, setup going on. I had a an offic- unofficial travel uh, yeah. uh, setup going on called the official unofficial. So I was doing my <laughs> thing with the official unofficial, and we had sort of, you know, we had quite a lot of, you know, we had probably like about to call on maybe a couple of hundred, 200, 250 of us, maybe three hundred of us, who at any time we could actually kind of call upon to go on our on, on the coach trips that I did, which were all very uh, very illegal <laughs> and very not very happy. The club weren't very happy with what we did, but it wasn't we were doing anything wrong. It's just they, they like they like to monitor everything the fans were doing at the time. And I thought actually I'm not really feeling this, so I actually found a way of uh, organising coach trips. It was basically off the back of the Acid House where they used to organise Acid House parties. Where you used yeah. to phone up a telephone number, find out where the party was, and then you go there on the day and so you know, you got in there. So it was, I did the same thing with the coach trips where literally on, it was like only on the day you found out where the coach was going to leave from, so you had to phone a special yeah. number, you know, you had yeah. an answer receive message or something like that, or mail it out. <laughs> and and that, that's how, there's no, there's no mobile phones in those yeah. days, you know? Yeah. So it's called the official unofficial, and I'd, I'd leave from a different point each time, so yeah. one time it'll be at Ealing Broadway, but the next time it might be Uxbridge, next time it might be Gunnersbury, and I had to do that to keep the police, you know, yeah. guessing the whole time as to what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, it was a big, big issue, yeah. wasn't it? I remember going on coaches as a teenager sometimes, just because of travel, it was easier, and yeah, we'd sort of smuggle drinks because you you're not allowed to drink. No, you weren't allowed to, you know. So I wonder what the rule is for that. One of the reasons might be the fact that we smuggled on a two-litre bottle of orange juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, inverted commas. No, and no. Uh, my mate needed to go to the loo quite early yeah. into the trip based yeah. on the amount of alcohol he had. Of course, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's actually yeah. one of the reasons. No, no, no. It was, a police, no it, was, it was a police rule, and I know all about it because oh, I've okay. been through the police and now I've been through the full Monty, and it was to do with football violence. 
So you you weren't allowed to travel to a football match on a on a on a motor vehicle. So any motor vehicle going to a game, you weren't allowed to drink on. So police yeah. were allowed to come on, search coaches, stop them, turn them back, yeah. and rescue all these kind of things. So coach companies had to be vigilant with fans to make sure that they didn't bring in alcohol. So what I would always do is I'd always book a a, tri a trip to uh, you know to the, to, to, to to the zoo or to 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 a to museum or something like yeah. that when I booked the coach journey. And we'd all turn up and we'd be drinking away and having a bit of a laugh and you know stuff like that we, and i'll go to a little place in the middle of the country that i've got on the good pub guide and then when i'll get to the other end of the, of the of coming out and i'll come out and say well, by the way mate we're not going to the zoo we're going to birmingham city or we're going to you know west brom and he's just like oh my god so don't worry we've cleared all the drink off it's gone in clean don't worry about it we'll go in so it was, a, it was a bit of a military precision thing but it was actually quite bad and i just kind of I had to keep myself sober enough to make sure that I yeah. kept everyone on board. People always used to try and smuggle a bottle on, but I was always hardcore with them. Yeah. You can't do that, you know. Do you realise you can get us done if we yeah. ever got, you know, stuff like that? Because we'd always get searched when we get to the other end because they knew it was my coach. And the policeman, yeah. I think his name was 333, the, the policeman, he was, he was horrible. He was, and he'd always come on with his police, says, right, I've got you now, Grant, I've got you. And he'd come on, he searched the whole thing, goes, damn. Oh, like, you know, and he's like, he couldn't find anything. This sounds like Minder or something. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> really, really sort of quite. But it's playing the game. I mean, if you, you sound like you're obviously like decent guys that weren't doing anything wrong no. and in terms of getting up to no good, you were just kind of just bending the rules to, to what you needed to do. Yeah, yeah that's fair enough. That's right. It? That's right. So, but in the end, myself, Laney was consulted, and me with being unofficial, we just joined. Yes. very early on in the 90s yeah. I started writing a lot of stuff with you know for Besotted started putting a lot of stuff out interviews doing interviews with Marcus Gale and, and, and Dean Holdsworth and just all the players Bob Taylor and everything like that oh, brilliant. Uh, so basically went through the whole 90s but you know with, with any writing selling doing all that and then it morphed into a, a website and then a, a blog it moved into a blog in sort of kind of like the early two, you know, 20, 2013 around about the time we played Chelsea in the FA Cup actually so we morphed into a blog then and then after that, we started to do videos, and we did videos very early on. Before Arsenal Fan TV were doing videos, we started our videos, and we, we, we actually got into a routine where we went to every single game and did, as you call it, a match day experience video. So we actually videoed the day. We didn't, we weren't into videoing ourselves, but yeah. we'd video like you and everybody and get their views and get the, you know. Right. And so you could actually get a real idea of the fans and the game, and it's just about that. So we, we did that for literally every single game home and away for about five years like you know it was it was, it was proper hard going you know um you know going to places like Sheffield United they're getting called off at one o'clock in the afternoon and you're going home and then having to go back the following week because the game gets rearranged and oh, stuff like that yeah. like you know so we've yeah, all been there yeah yeah we were we were quite we were quite on it for quite a while so we've got quite quite a bank of videos you know, um, including going through the whole Trotter era with Trotter missed the penalty, you know, yeah. the penalty hit the crossbar. We've got all that, yeah. all, we've got all of that on video. The penalty missed, players falling on the floor, the fans crying in the stadium, like, you know. Uh, it's on Besotted 1992 YouTube if you want to check it out. We've got loads of stuff on there. So, and then we, and then we, and then the podcast actually came, actually, it only, I say, only started when we, um, when we hit the championship. And we actually went up to Borough yeah. in 2014. It's like a probably a second or third away game of the season at the most. It's like a second, maybe second away game of the season. Went up to Borough, we got thumped 4-0. We got absolutely mullered by them, 4-0, very early on the season. And I just I downloaded this audio boom app that I had no idea about. Yeah. And I said, I've just got this new app and I've just you know, linked it all up and everything like that. And I said, um, it's, a, it's a free trial version, like 10, yeah. you've got 10 minutes to give your view on the game. And we had 10 of us, I think, around the table. So I pressed the button and everyone had one minute to give their view on the game and it went around we got it all in about nine minutes sort of 57 seconds pressed it 
I've done that, that, then I've just put, I've said, you know, Brentford Bill, you know, um, Borough Four, and I've just pressed it, put it up into the cloud, just went up yeah. into, you know, what's going on. And then we got to King's Cross, rather worse for wear, as you always are when you come back from Borough, like you know what I'm saying? And I've looked at it, I thought, blimey, look how many people have listened to it. This is amazing, like you know what I'm saying? So after that, that's what that was our first podcast, and after that we just we've done like I said, it's about nearly eight, eight, nearly eight hundred since then. So um, yeah. so yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey. Superb. I've listened to a few of them. I said just off air the the run up to the uh, the promotion and uh, the stuff from earlier this season just to get a bit of flavour for it, and uh, it's entertaining. I recommend it to people if you want to get the other view. Albion fans may predominantly listen to this, obviously. Uh, to get the opposition view, I highly recommend it. It's great, really. I think it's balanced. It's good. You are very much the driving force in it for me. I think you, you seem to be the, very much the voice of it. I know um, your, your mate is it Dave well, Lane? Yeah, Lane is well. He's, about he's it, also is in it a lot. As yeah, well. we, we were, I think we're all different characters. I think the whole idea is that listen, you know, I talk, like I say, I talk for England, so it doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean I'm driving. It just means I bring what I bring to it as well. Yeah. Laney brings definitely what he brings to it as well. And between the two of us, when we do it, it's a little bit of a sort of kind of comedy duo type yeah, thing, you know. That's a what bit you of a we know it. But then we've got you know other elements where we've got our, 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 our a spreadsheet winker, as we call him, which is uh, <laughs> Will the spreadsheet winker, who's basically our statistical guy. And again, Brian fans will know all about this because Matthew Benham and uh, and uh, Matthew Benham and, 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 and Tony Bloom were basically they were business partners and they fell out massively and it was a huge huge falling out but you use exactly the same systems as what we use so you've got a bigger budget than us and you've always had because uh, I think Bloom has got more money than Benham has <laughs> which is the truth you know what I'm saying yeah. so you've always dealt, dealt in a bigger pot than here but the difference between um, Brighton and Brentford is that you never advertised that you do the statistics side where we put it on a press release once and they've had to because of the Warburton thing when we got rid of Warburton we wanted to prove that we're going to do it on our own yeah. so they put on a press release we're going to find players by statistical means and we have never lived it down since because yeah. everyone has basically hammered us for it yeah. and you know that's that's the way it goes but you know it, it is what it is that's, that's kind of made Brentford different and they laughed at us about it in 2014 and 2015 and 2016 who's and laughing now? 2017 and I'm not saying it from an arrogant say who's laughing now but I'm just <laughs> thinking that we've had to shoulder that and we've had to learn ourselves as fans as to how it's benefited our club and we've started to you know there's a lot of fans didn't like it as well you know we were quite lucky because we're quite well on board with the, the owner and the directors of football and the manager everyone we talked you talk to everybody you know what I'm saying so they've, they've, they've schooled us quite well in, in what it's all about you know they've come down if you listen to the Pride of West Scott London we've had the director of football down the pub a couple of months ago who just talked about you know loads of just talked about everything you know we, we literally just said anything just rang them up said look you want to come down the pub and talk about stuff like, yeah okay so That's he came down the pub you know Thomas Frank about a year just before lockdown came down the pub Thomas said I want to be on your podcast yeah okay come down the pub we're only going to do it down the pub yeah all right fair enough so we're very lucky in that we've got a really good and easy dialogue with our with our club so they they, they schooled us and told us this is what it's all about so we kind of learned quite quickly some of the other fans it took them a little bit longer and it's only natural because you're doing something which is very not football you know, you're just doing things which are just not traditionally football. And so a lot of people are going, ah, this is terrible, they're ruining my club. But five years later, six years later, they're like, I get it now. I'm comfortable with it now. I understand it now. And they're even sort of flying the flag. So sometimes in football, you have to understand, instead of, you know, snagging people off, you just try and work with them and talk to them yeah. to try and you know, educate them a little bit, you know? Absolutely, adapting systems. I mean, we went through this as well changing systems from traditionally we were quite a footballing side we'd have a number of years playing much more rudimentary football more direct football under Mickey Adams and various others 
and under Gus Poy, it transformed back into more of a footballing style. Yeah. During that, yeah, that, that was the first um, original appointment by Tony Bloom, and that set the bar for what we were going to do. But you still have a lot of people going, no, just get it forward, don't uh, stop, stop all this tippy tappy stuff. Yeah. You know, you've got to persevere with things. Everyone loves it now, yeah. and I'm sure it's the same with you guys. Yeah. Over time, you, you get to enjoy the way it's gone, the, the way it's changed. Yeah, and yeah. It does take time to adapt, and people are resistant to change, aren't they? Yeah. So it, yeah. it can be a bit tricky sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, but, definitely. But um, there's a lot in common, I think, between Brentford and Albion. Yeah. Um, you've, you've touched on one of the things, obviously, the, the owners and their their line of business, what they do, what they have done, um, the systems they're using in the football sense. Uh, you've also mentioned about Brighton keeping under the radar in terms of the fact we're using the same statistical-based systems, yeah. and we do. I think Tony Bloom is all about keeping under the radar he's, he's clearly a very wealthy guy we, none of us knew how wealthy we knew he's a wealthy bloke but he took over the club he was able to upscale the plans to the stadium so we thought okay he's got a certain amount of money but he's carried on with that and he's, he's improved things the training ground is ridiculous it's one of the top three or four in Europe it, insane we can't believe from where we were struggling to get a stadium yeah. in Widdeen yeah. dreadful acoustics no, rained on every there. week and I, lived was, road, I lived just down the road yeah, from there I lived, know, in, you know I, lived, I lived in Preston Park yeah. you know what I'm saying it, so, it all felt very Timpot yeah. it, it didn't feel like an ordinary football club at 30 level which is the level we're at yeah. it felt worse than that it was yeah. 30 level but with 4th, 5th, 6th tier kind of facilities that's what it felt like yeah. so to go from that to then suddenly have him he's, he's spent something like 300 and million or something on the club 400 million I mean to have that amount over a 10 year period available to spend how much is the bloke worth who knows who knows but he is very much uh, an understated guy I don't know if you know he goes to the games he's he's on the train he gets the train back yes he's in first class but he I've chatted to him on the platform two or three times again after games and he's got a bodyguard with him or whatever you know he's effectively just wants to be a normal fan really on match days and uh, he's often seen celebrating in the director's box, yeah. <laughs> which can rub people up the wrong way sometimes. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I know for a fact he doesn't tend to go in the director's box at Brentford because nah. I know it's a, nah. a rather fractious relationship. Yeah. Yeah. We won't go into what that's nah. all about uh, nah. <laughs> on this pod, nah. but um, we might see him on Saturday in our away end. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. Um, but we'll yeah. get on to uh, get on to the game on Saturday. Come up later. But in terms of Basotti, just just one thing on that. The fanzine side of things, that's pretty early days, wasn't it, for fanzines? Yeah. And quite prominent within that culture, I think. Yeah, it felt like it was quite a significant title. Yeah. Would, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think it's fair to say it's fairly early on. I mean, fanzines were obviously big in those days. Again, fanzines, magazines that fans would print off and they would literally print them off. And, you know, okay, yeah, it got to the printers at that stage, but beforehand, people are like typewriters and sort yeah. of kind of like drawn. Yeah pictures and stuff like that you know yeah and putting them together but the reason why it was great is like the early internet where you know the, inf- the information had come out if i had something to say i would write it i'd write a gossip column and at brentford talking about transfers i'd write a column about my anti-racism or anything like that that's yeah. going on and that is where people read it so you know you could either read the official program and get the sort of kind of the, the official um club view or you can read the the, the the local newspaper but the local newspaper you know again only a certain amount of pages yeah. really get to Brentford or you can get the real fan perspective who's telling you about all sorts of stuff so people used to love it in them days because that's the only place that you could really get you know the gossip and everyone go inside the pubs and they'll talk about what they may have heard in the fanzine yeah. and you know it'll go around so I suppose at the end of the day you, you could be a 
you could be accused of sort of perpetuating sort of kind of all sorts of rumours that might not may or might not be true, like, you know. You know, but I tried to keep mine as And because you, information wasn't so readily at hand as well, those rumours can can roll for a Oh while, yeah, it was really I, I remember doing this transfer call, it was really, really hard. I remember it trying to just get any information out that you can do yeah. and then you kind of got rumours from like we had all the players numbers so we'd ring up the players and said you know have you heard you know such and such is going to be coming oh yeah he's in the car park the other day yeah he come down yeah. he thinks he knows, he thinks he knows it all so you're writing sort of stories second first and second and third hand yeah. from other people because you you can't get any other way but it was, it was quite exciting especially um you know and they turned up and they're thinking, oh, these guys are geniuses. They, 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 they knew that this was happening all the time, like, you know? You know, there's a, there's a player called, again, Brighton, Brighton fans, remember down the line, I don't know if he played for you, he played for Peterman, Drew Broughton. Oh, I know them, Yeah, so he played, so yeah. we were like meant to be after him for ages and I, I'd got a wind of this for ages and I wrote a whole column about Drew Broughton and how we, I, I think I chased after him at, at Peterborough one time trying to get a story from him and yeah. he kind of ran away and then eventually he signed for us and I think, if I remember rightly, eventually signed for us and he played for us for no time at all. He was like in and then out within a few games. I don't know if it was, I think he had a fight or something, something went wrong and he was in and then out. So I'd spent all this time trying to chase the story. <laughs> and then uh, he came and he lasted about 35 seconds. So it was a bit oh, rubbish. But he, was, he was rubbish. He wasn't, worth, it wasn't really worth the story, I don't think, <laughs> you know. But this, this era of fans, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it predates the internet effectively, doesn't it? Yeah. Because um, I remember, I was saying off air, remember watching the CFAX uh, for our division rolling through and you had to wait for each bit to go through bit by bit. You couldn't, you couldn't click on stuff, you had to yeah, wait yeah. for it yeah. to roll through. So it was a, basically an info service that's on right. TV for anyone that's young, yeah. doesn't know. So you would have, Besotted was one of them. I think we had, I can't remember what we had at the time, it wasn't Goldseye, which was the original fans, and I think it was... Smith and a score or something like that yeah. and then I think there was a Reading one and there was um, I think there was a South End had one and I just remember it was kind of this fascinating little there wasn't, niche there's something, there wasn't a Chillingham one Brian Moore's head looks like London Planetarium do you remember that? yes that's, what, a yeah, name, what a name for a fancy that's, that's perfect <laughs> it beats all of us out in style doesn't it yeah. but it was an interesting culture and I'm going to do a, an episode on fanzine soon actually which will be interesting I might grab you back for that one who knows but um, but yeah in terms of that it was, I mean, it was there at the very outset you guys have been there from the outset with that and it's, it's interesting stuff yeah. um, one thing before we break for half time and probably another beer I should imagine I think so I think so uh, one thing I've got to ask you about obviously you're in a new era now and we'll get on to that in part two the old era synonymous with Griffin Park you've just unfortunate timing with Covid you've not been able to see out and see in the old and new stadiums quite how you would have liked or not as early as you would have liked anyway yeah. but Griffin Park we've got to talk about Griffin Park yeah. um, I've, I've always said if I wasn't a Brighton fan if I somehow wasn't into football suddenly got into football when I moved to London I think I would be picking probably Brentford or I've got to say sorry Fulham one of those two because those are the clubs that appeal they seem to have a bit of character to them um, I'm biased about Palace if I wasn't a Brighton fan I guess I wouldn't be maybe Palace who knows but Brentford's always one of those clubs that attracted me for several reasons. One, the thing you you were attracted to, it just it, it just had this niche. It was kind of nice. it's a nicer, smaller club in one sense, and you could get your teeth into it, and it just felt like a proper community club. Yeah. Secondly, the thing that everyone's won't expect me to say now, I'm going to say it, pub on every corner. Uh, it's unique. Obviously, you, you lose that by moving grounds. But tell us about Griffin Park. Uh, your your memories of it. Uh, 
how many times did you do all four pubs of a match day, yeah. that sort of thing? I'll tell you something, <laughs> I don't think I've ever done all four pubs of a match day. No? No, because... Oh. No, oh, because, yeah, because it's, 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 it's quite a touristy thing to do. Yeah. Do I say it? You know, because to be honest, if you one pub, we just 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 didn't like the Princess Royal. We just didn't like it. You know, the, you know, it just didn't. It was just not a great pub, not great beer. It just wasn't a great vibe. You know, the Griffin, great pub. You know, the New Inn. We used to we used to yes. we used to put ourselves down in there. Yeah. And the fact is that when you had a pub, you just used to put yourself down there. You didn't necessarily do the rounds of all four of them. And then the Royal Oak as well, we actually, which was the Royal Oak at the time in the other corner, we actually went in there for a while as well. So what you did is that you found a pub and you went there for a year or two and that became your pub and then you moved on to the next and the next pub. But you never actually did it. But great ground, great old school ground. Obviously, I talked about a story about how I first started to go there and I've got lots of memories about it. It's an old, beat up, broken down ground, but it's got lots and lots of character. The main thing that was the best thing about Griffin Park, as far as I'm concerned, is the terraces. Yeah. Right? It's got terraces and I've stood up all my life at football. I've never sat down. I've always stood up and at Griffin Park, you know, even up to last season, season before, I've gone by my, I've gone by my, my, um, my, my season ticket. My mates buy their season ticket. We don't buy it together. And then, you know, you turn up and then you all just stand together because yeah. you don't have to pre-arrange seats together. And if, you, if you've got a friend coming, you just buy them a ticket and then they turn up and they can stand with you as well. Yeah. And it's, it's the most sociable way of, 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 of going to football as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And it's amazing how you know people who are a lot younger who haven't experienced that, it's just not in their it's not in their mindset. Yeah. You know, so what seat you've got? And you know, we as Brentford fans I mean we're a little bit chaotic when it comes to away games because we're so used to standing in this freestyle terracing thing. When it comes to away games, it, it causes a bit of friction when people say, That's my seat because it's kind of like this doesn't just yeah. that like terrace so you yeah, take your terrace pass, so it's a bit it's a bit of an issue and I'm sure you get it a lot of football I'm not listen everyone needs to experience football and enjoy it in their own way and I think you have to kind of be aware of that and maybe the club needs to work with you to make sure that the people who want to mm-hmm. sit wherever and stand wherever they can in one place and the other people who want to sit now maybe that you know they just need to facilitate that a little bit more but I think that that kind of old school terrace mentality standing up thing is um is what really has attracted a lot of kind of just different people we get we get fans coming to us from all over literally all over europe all the time you know i've just had a message i mean he's joined us now but i've just had a message from from the dutch bees harold the dutch bee who uh he just messaged me say billy like you know i'm coming over again I'm, I'm cool because I've got enough taps, but one of the other Dutch bees, he's not sure if you get enough taps, can you get us a ticket, you know, sort of a ticket for such and such a game? Yeah, yeah, we'll sort them out. But the fact is that this this, this man, I saw him, I met him first at Port Vale in 2013, right? Oh, well, where you come from? I come from Holland. I'm like, this is bizarre. Oh yeah, so I love Brentford, like, you know what I'm saying? Next minute you find there's Italian bees, there's Danish bees, there's Swedish bees, there's Hong Kong really? bees, there's German bees. Honestly, it's absolutely bonkers and they come up, regularly and they've also a lot of them got season tickets as well like you know yeah Yeah, it's interesting because we've had a lot of that happen since we went in the premier league that was an interesting change we started to get a lot of interest we already had some dutch dutch fans a couple of scandinavian nations a few bits and pieces but not in great numbers it sounds like there's more of that was going on with you guys Nothing to do with the Premier League before no, the Premier League. No, no. Yeah. That, to do with the terraces of Griffin Park. Yeah, it that is. was the appeal. And the interesting thing yeah. is that, like, one of we came down, he and, uh, and and Matt's, and he's like one of our crew now as well, Swedish beat he is as well. 
and he's come and he's coming and uh, I remember when I first met him and I met him outside the Globe Pub with some pub we were drinking and he's standing outside a wicked pub by the way that's a great pub yeah so he's standing outside there so I've met him and I said look you know he goes oh I come from Sweden I said look you know you're by yourself do you want to come over and drink with our lot so he came over and drank with our lot and we said what, what, are you, what are you doing here we don't understand he goes well he goes I'm, I'm working I'm working in London now yeah. And so I, I support Hammerby, it's in Sweden, which is like the, the cool sort of south of the uh, south yeah. of Stockholm club. Yeah. And he goes, so, um, but I, I needed to have a club in, in England. So he goes, I came over here and I've just tried them all out. So I went to, I think he went to West Ham. He goes, I went to Arsenal, I went to Tottenham, I went this out. And I said, I'm going to try a number of clubs. And at the end of it, I'm going to decide which one I really like. And he tried out about five or six or seven different clubs. Yeah. And he went to Brentford and he said, this is the one for me. He goes, I love it. I love the atmosphere. I love the people. I love the pubs. I just love the vibe. He goes, I, just, I didn't want the corporate big. Yeah. And I thought, cool, that's just quite I mean, amazing. That's pretty you know? much why I said if I, if I didn't have a club, I think I'd pick somebody like, Brian, uh, like Brentford. Because... Of the appeal, it's just got more character, more flavour to it. Yeah, you feel like it's a friendlier club, basically. Yeah, friendly. which is, yeah. which I'll say this. Listen, each of their own, and everyone. There's diff- different strokes for different folks, and people like different things. And this is not stating anybody else's club or anybody else's experience. And the fact is that you know, with that as well, you have to realise also come abject failure, sort of serial <laughs> failure. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to realise that. You know. Um, but I think some people like maybe they're just used to failure themselves <laughs> and they think if I put myself in here then I don't feel too out of place <laughs> like, you know. And, uh, and also I think the thing is that if you kind of throw yourself into failure when you get that one victory it yeah. actually feels a lot sweeter so Absolutely. maybe that's kind of part of the thing why you know, people get attracted to clubs like us because uh, it makes the ups feel like yeah. real ups like, yeah. you know we've, we've had a lot of stuff to do with American fans tagging in because they're all, they're all buying into the Premier League but a lot of them are not that fussed about the big clubs and we've got Amir who's a regular listener hello Amir if you're listening yeah. uh, from Colorado who's a Denver area and he's um, ultimately all of the all of the teams he supports in American sports are all essentially by his words failures they're all they're all um, basically un- underachievers or underwhelming they don't do that well. They're not doing great. And he initially he was interested in us because we had Jahan Batch, who's Iranian, and he's of Iranian descent. So that was one hook to take him in. But he thought, also, they're not a big club. That would be more interesting. And he said, Jahan Batch, before he left, he said, when Jahan Batch goes, that's not a problem. I'm still going to be a Brian fan. Yeah. He's completely bought into it. He's got a home and away kit for the new season already. You know, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, you've got to love that. And yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a new fan. That's great. Yeah. You'll get a lot of new fans purely by the fact you've gone in the Premier League. No, 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 we've, we've seen it already. Yeah. The correspondence it's, it's we've been getting at the side is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, you've reminded me, I need to reply to a few <laughs> emails to a few people who have written to us. I I'm think you're a busy bee, aren't you? No. Yeah, no, no. That's cool, but that's again, I'm not, I've not done the manners thing, just sometimes you do get, yeah. get tired of it and you just need to sleep and switch off for a, yeah. for, for an hour or two, like, you know what I'm saying? Well, final bit on this, this half, um, just also, again, just on the subject of Griffin Park. I mean, I've, I've got happy memories of Griffin Park, mainly because I by a strategic chance, managed to avoid the two 4-0 thrashings you administered on us in the 90s, was it, I think? Um, my memories are happier, quite a few draws, to be honest. But I do remember, and this is a game a lot of Albion fans will remember, it seems as if about 15,000 Brighton fans are, are claiming to have been at the game, and I know they weren't, because there was about 3,000 away fans there. Uh, there was a game when we played you twice, we played you in the Cup and the League, I think it was the Cup match, where we beat you 2-1. It was in the days when we were on, is it the Ealing Road, the, uh, the end that used to be the away end, then became the home end. I think that's right, isn't it? They swapped it around. We had that and a little section down the side as well, 
and Gary Nelson scored a goal. This would have been 87, 88 season, where he went round about 150 players, according to the uh, stories, and then whacked one in from distance. Probably the best goal from my mind's eye that I can ever remember seeing. Yeah. Uh, do you remember that? Were you at that game? Do you I remember? have to admit, and if you say it's 87, 88, I might have been at that game. I actually yeah. moved to America for a while, and ah, I right. just about came back around about 87, 88. That was in yeah. the sort of kind of post warehouse groove era as they called it like you know what i'm saying so i, I remember things you're like your music as well yeah we yeah, yeah well, big so. music man so like you know so it's a rare house groove era you know we the, the rare groove era it was like the, yeah. the norman J sort of shaken finger pop family function type era we started to move morph into the acid house era yeah. as well around yeah. about that time so i vaguely remember that time not because of what I was doing because I don't do drugs I don't smoke I do anything like that it's just that I was very busy out clubbing and we weren't a great side but we were getting better at that time and yeah. I think remember it's a good game that season the following I think the following season we started to become good because I think after that yeah. Steve Perriman took over Brentford uh, yeah, yeah. and then that's when we actually started to go so, so, so 88 89 yeah. is when we actually started to become a good team so we were kind of yeah. on the edge at that time I, remember, I think I remember it being a close game between two teams similarly positioned in the league we did go up that year because that was the year we um, we've gone down and gone straight back up again but um I do remember you were a good side back then. Some good I can't remember who the players were. Yeah, yeah. But it was a good, good side, yeah. yeah. Happy days. Yes. Right, okay, I think it's time for that beer, isn't it, Indeed. Billy? Yes. We shall have a quick break and then return. London, it's London, it's London Brewing Company. London Brewing Company's Hazy Pale. This is what we're on, isn't it? Second one of these is great, aren't they, Billy? Just going down a treat, love it. Excellent, so we're back in the room, part two of the pod. Been chatting with Billy Grant, Billy the Bee, Brentford fan, Brentford podcaster, and a man who's been through it all, I'm sure, as a, as a supporter. Talking about which, I mean, you've talked about your early days as a fan and how it's all gone. Um, the previous period before this current good spell and what's happened in the last two to three years, How's it been as a fan? Have you been through a lot of struggles? How's it been to be a supporter? Have you, have you found it difficult? Oh, no, no, it's been, it's been listen, it's, it's, it's always our being a Brentford fan and like, you know, we've been terrible. You know, there's no two ways about it. We've been terrible and I think there's a lot of clubs out there that know their clubs have been terrible. Brighton have been terrible. Oh, Bournemouth have been terrible, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we've, yeah. We've, we've seen it all, we know it. But you come out the back end of it and you appreciate things even more. You know, it wasn't 10, it was about 10, 11, 12, 12, 13 years ago, Red Buckets outside yeah. Griffin Park. So basically, you know, Ron Nodes came in, Ron Nodes left, Ron Nodes kind of basically kind of oh, Ron Nodes, tore, yeah. tore the club to pieces, like in effect, you know, we, we, we ended up kind of suffering quite badly because of that whole period. But the fans came in and they saved it and they kind of liked to go with the club and then we had the buckets outside and fair play to some really good fans who just basically just kind of kept the club going until Matthew Benham came in, who yeah. was the owner, who came in as a bit of a secret squirrel offered yeah. to sort of give us a, a million pound a year just to keep us going no no holds barred you know after five years if we he gives us five million after five years if we'd um if we'd done what we needed to do then just give us back his five million and he'll go about his way so that was meant to be the plan you know after two years he put in about 25 million and we went excuse me mr Benham, would you like to buy the club you know <laughs> so we bought the club so that's when the change came around yeah. about 2010 2011 is when the change came but that's when you really notice the change in everything because he came in and said, right, now I'm in charge, new ethos. Right, we're going to play football like this, we're yeah. going to get in young players, we're going to get in a manager who understands passing games. So we got an Uwe Rosler. Uwe Rosler came in and had to teach the players and the fans about passing football because we weren't used to it. 
You know, yeah. pass, here we go with this cultural yeah, change thing. That's right, pass the ball, lump it, just get it up there. You know, all that kind of stuff was going on. So it took a couple of years for us to get to it, but then eventually we loved Uwe Rosler and yeah. we loved the fact that he wanted to get us this passing game. And then Uwe Rosler jumped ship in the middle of the season when we looked like we were going to get promoted, jumped ship to Wigan, which really quite upset us actually at the time because we were gutted because we thought that's the end because he actually jumped ship on the day that we got the planning permission for the stadium that the Brighton fans are going to go in now. So we're all down the town hall, just about to celebrate the, the, the local um, councillors giving us the thumbs up. And we heard, oh, who heard, Uwe Ross has just resigned. And it was like, oh, you're joking. Like, you know, so it put a bit of a damp squib on that big day. But, um, but after that, Mark Warburton uh, um, took over, which fair play at the time. He was a great option for us and he was, he was great and he was really in it and he was really exciting and the fans loved him. And he came in and he, and he turned it around and we got promoted. And it was a brilliant year and it was brilliant with Warburton and we went up and the following season it was really exciting and we were doing really well at Christmas time. And then we found out there's a bit of shenanigans that were going on, which I probably won't talk too much about with Warburton <laughs> and just things that were kind of happening that shouldn't have been happening. And, the owner wasn't very happy with certain things that were going down and they all kicked off massively and the whole world thought we were sacking Warburton, which we weren't. It was just like shenanigans were taking place. <laughs> and uh, let's just say that eventually we had to go our way. We had to go our, his way at the end of the season when we didn't go up. We went to the playoff semi-final that year yeah. um, against Borough and he didn't go up. So he went his way. We went our way. We got absolute grief for getting rid of Warburton, which we didn't do. Um, and we kind of um, lived off the back of that for years trying to kind of make amends with the media world who obviously loved Wolves because he was very good with the media and uh, telling us we were very bad people for getting rid of him but we didn't get rid of him and I think as years have gone on they've started to realise probably the reason why that he did go because he's been to various different clubs in other places and certain things have happened and I'm not not aspirations but I think you, if you do your research you, you have a look around you think actually you know I'm not being funny, but this seems to have happened in a few places. He's just up the road now, of course. That's right. He's up at yeah. Kibiar, and he's doing well at Kibiar. Fair play to him, like you know. He's had to come he's around. He's a good manager, isn't he? Really. He's a good manager, and he should stick to kind of managing. I think mm. everything else that kind of is in there kind of made it all get a little bit sticky. If you notice, he moved around with a crew of people who uh, were his crew at QPR I think when QPR did their due diligence they said to us after we did Rangers and Nottingham Forest with his crew they said you're coming on your own mate your crew's gone so his crew had to dissipate so he's had to concentrate and do it within their system whereas beforehand he was going in and doing it his way which is kind of what he was trying to do at Brentford it's my way my way let's do it my way and Benham had his way and Benham was like you know Matt Benham's like well you know we've all come in here and this is it's a sort of collaborative process it's not about one person yeah. you know people talk about it's only about one you know they should, the club shouldn't be about one player and you know all about that yeah. you know if somebody comes in and they just run in your club you sort of think it's better that person leaves to be because it's about the club and it's the long term view of the club because when that player goes yeah. we're still going to be there as fans and the club's still going to be there but they can ruin it so it's, it's definitely about having one um, having a collaborative thing going on if people aren't working together in a collaboration, and you have to question whether or not that person is the right person for the club. It's, no getting, it's getting the balance right, isn't it? It's getting the harmony right. Yeah. Directors of football, they've sniffed that for a long time, and it's now become pretty much the norm. I think as long as you've got the right component parts in the process, including that director of football, it works fine and it, it can be great. Yeah. I mean, certainly you, you've, you've been in, um, 
appointing some interesting managers. I think Rossler was an interesting manager, Warburton was as well. Obviously, your man Thomas Frank, you got in at the moment, is great. I really like him. Don't forget Dean Smith. Don't forget Dean Smith, please. Don't. Don't what he's doing in the meantime. He's, top, so, he's a top yeah. bloke. He's a lovely bloke. Yeah. And he sorted out the shit, basically. Because after Warburton left, we basically tried to go anti-Warburton, right? So oh, we tried to be completely different, getting this manager called Mariano Steichhausen, who never, no one had ever heard of, from this tiny club in Holland that no one had ever heard of. <laughs> and he'd done miraculous things with them there. So we thought, you're gonna do miraculous things at Brentford. And I'll be honest with you, I reckon that his interview came and they went, Right, so Marinus, do you know the stats? You know, you know the stats. So, yeah, 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 I know the stats. Yeah. And uh, you know, do you think that you can get us? To the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of like one of those things. He's just like, you know, anything, anything. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Like, you know. And then he came in, and it wasn't quite what we wanted at the time. And I think that they all went after like the, like the first week. It wasn't even the first game. Like the first week or two, they went. Oh, oops, <laughs> we, we fluffed it here big time. But the fair, 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 fair thing about Brentford, they can put their hand up yeah. and say, we fluffed it. Yeah. It's not his fault. He's a manager and he's coming for a job and he's got the job. Why is it his fault? It's like at the end of the day, anyone would do that same thing. It's for us to do the due, due, due diligence to say whether or not you're right or wrong. Yeah. So now we've come in, we've seen what he's done and he's not right. So we're going to have to do something. So he only lasted eight games. He probably would have lasted a lot less, but we struggled to find a struggled to find someone to yeah. take over to be quite honest with you and he left now I'm saying this because I'm not having a go at him because I've met him we went out for, we actually went out for, for we went for drinks with him on his first day actually as we do <laughs> yeah yeah we rang him up and said you want to go out for drinks so we took him out for drinks and uh, we had a bit of a laugh on the first day he's a lovely lovely bloke so I'm never going to slag him off or anything like that um, but even when we spoke to him on his first day we were thinking oh blimey he's like it's yeah. a few things that, like he was, he was asked he's saying oh it's very fast this 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 uh, championship and we're thinking surely you should have done that before and you know this is so the thing about it is this learning curves for yeah. a team so we thought he had the skills to do it but also you have to realize that you maybe have to have the locational skills he'd come from holland a small place in holland to a, a to london so that was a big change for him yeah. he worked with small players on very small budgets and he was working with players on bigger budgets not huge budgets but that was a big thing for him yeah. and london and the humor and the comedy and the and all this kind of stuff so he came in and it was a bit of a mess and so when he left Dean Smith came in and his job was to clean the mess up and just to sort out the squad sort out the old school and he, he did a great job old school squad new school squad so you've got the old you know yeah this is our dressing room and then you've got the new fresh players that were brought in by the old stat system in the corner there and they're like yeah who are you so is that when Liza Hardy Dean and people yeah. like that were there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And if, if you notice they yeah they, they, they didn't last too long eventually and they yeah. were kind of out here and you know yeah. And they moved on because Brentford had evolved, and uh, that wasn't that wasn't our team anymore. And it was just it was a process. And Dean Smith was brilliant in just sorting it out. He just did what he had to do, sorted it out, and then when it was sorted, then he had to concentrate on the playing side, yeah. so on and so forth. But Thomas Frank was actually brought in as an aid to Dean Smith because I believe that obviously our Benham just all Dean was really good, but you need help in certain areas. I'm going to get this guy from Denmark over. Are you cool with that? Dean Smith, no ego. Yeah, that's fine. So bring him over. So he's brought him in underneath. Thomas Frank's thinking, hold on a second. I'm being manager at Bromby, and you're asking me to be assistant manager at Brentford? Question mark. But then he thought, tell you what, opportunity. Let me just do it. Let me be humble. So he sat there and he came in, and that, that and this is why I love Thomas Frank. He learned. So he came here and he learned what our country is about. 
what our, 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 our ethos is about, what our, our traditions are about, what the, the humour is about, that we like going out of the pub and watching football, that we, this is, what the, this is what the players are like. And he learnt it underneath Dean Smith. So if he'd come in as a fresh new manager from Holland, uh, from Denmark, when Dean Smith had moved on, he could have come in and it could have crashed the show. But he spent two years learning. So by the time Dean Smith left, he just slotted in seamlessly because he knew the score, he knew the dressing room, he knew everything. So there's some good strategy and thinking. A little bit of luck because it could have, could have just not sat right, but it did, and it worked out well. Lots of interesting appointments, as I said, and lots of things in common with the Albion. Actually, we do a lot. Of, I think the thinking is very similar, probably by no coincidence with the with the owners. Maybe they've got a similar mindset in one sense. But those that's a series of good appointments. One after the other, with one exception, as you said, yeah. which was a bit unlucky. You learn from your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes, exactly. As you said, it's it's about being humble about it. Going right, all right, put our hands up. We've made a mistake. We'll act fairly quickly on it, and we'll learn from it. As long as you do that, the fans will respect it, won't they? And and you step on, and look what happens. You you go on from strength to strength, yeah. and you, you get greater success, which is superb. Indeed. And the Danish thing, I think that somebody said that the Danes have a lot in common with us. I I think. Yeah, people talk about a special relationship with America and this, that and the other. But I think we've got most in common with Scandinavians and Northern Europeans in general. Yeah. Our sense of humour is similar. I know people talk about the Germans, take the piss out of the Germans. But particularly Scandinavians, I think sarcasm, cynicism, we've, we've both got that, I think, in yeah. spades. There's something else somebody said about the Danes as well that we've got yeah. in common with. But he, he's, he fits the bill in that sense. Yeah. He can tap into the British psyche a little bit more maybe than most yeah. um, from another country, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and I like him, I think he's great. Yeah. Um, but some really large ears as well, which yeah. is another matter. Yeah, no, they're good, <laughs> the, Danes, the Danes, and I, I like them. Yeah. And again, you know, uh, the interesting thing, again, a lot of Brighton fans may not know this, but what happened was that even though Matthew Benham owned Brentford in around about, like I said, 2011 or something like that, 2010, 2011, yeah. He actually um, decided to buy a second club round about 2016. I, I'm not sure, oh. you have to look on the you know, wiki. Around about 2016, and he bought FC Michelin, which yes. you probably know, in Denmark. And he bought them, and at the time, again, he bought them, and they were literally pretty much almost sort of rattling buckets outside. They were like in a bit of a struggle. And he bought them, and they were like nowhere. They were just like a nothing club. And he, and he bought them, and he applied um, the same thing that he's done to Brentford now. But what he found is that he was able to apply his uh, his, uh, his strategy to, to and his ethos to Michelin a lot quicker. Was a they were in a proper pickle at the time, and b they were they were very open to new ideas. So all the people are like, yeah, that's great. Let's try that. Let's try that. Let's try that. Yeah. So within I think two or three years, they'd gone from nowhere to winning the title, to playing in Europe, to playing in the Champions League. Yeah. You know what I'm saying so. It's kind of like, now, you know, so they're yeah. doing it very well. So it's kind of like that became a template. So he saw what can happen, but it happened very fast. There, it's happened a lot slower in the UK because we're a lot resistant. I said to change mm. over here. So it's been a slow, a much slower process in a lot of number of ways. We've, we've got there eventually. It's a but, tougher gig as well, isn't it? Yeah. There's so many clubs with ambitions, a density in the pyramid. That, that makes it tougher anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, so that's why Brentford have got a very strong relationship now with Denmark. Because basically we've got a scouting system out there. Because yeah. they just tell us who the best players are, who the worst players are, who the best coaches are. So that's why eventually you see all these Danes coming over there. And traditional scouts and coaches, and I know quite a few of them, used to laugh at us going, <laughs> why are Brentford getting players from Denmark? And they basically said, because we know them. 
You know, it's quite simply, if we had someone in Spain or someone in, you know, one part of Africa, Africa's probably not because visa problems, but you know what I'm saying, but another part of the world, then we'd be very good there. So that's the reason why we've got very strong links in Denmark. And now, interestingly, it starts to show, people are now sort of saying to us now when they've seen two of our players playing in the World Cup semi-final, right, you know what I'm saying, against England, and we had Christian Norgard, who got player of the match when England played Denmark in the... I can't remember what it was. It Champions League, was it Nations League game? I can't remember what it was, but they played yeah, a game. A year earlier. Yeah, earlier. And, you know, again, these things are, they've come to fruition. And the, the luckiest thing is that now, because we're, because we're quite, you know, because we're Premier League, we're quite big, we potentially can kind of pick out, I mean, Frank the Tank Onyeka, who yes. I, I keep talking about, I love him. <laughs> Apparently he's the best player in Denmark when we bought him this, this year, because all the other Danish players, when they get to a certain level, they leave. So they're all playing in, you know, Syria. They're playing in, in England. They're playing in all over different places. If they get to a certain level, so a lot of the internationals in the in that squad, that Danish squad, are not actually playing in Denmark. But he was, st- he's still playing in Denmark. So according to my Danish chums, and I've got a lot of them, they said to me that they reckon that he's the he was the best player who was remaining in Denmark at the time, playing in the Danish league. And they just kind of put their hands up, and say, look. He's too good for us now. He's got to move on now, and then they they accept players moving on and move on to Europe. And they actually they they almost say tip their hat to it. They say that that's that's a good sign for us because it shows that we're producing or finding and developing good players. Like you know, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, so we, we we are very Danish, and we've got these. I mean, a lot of people might hate, but we've got these besotted t-shirts so it doesn't say Brentford but it says Brentfjord with like a Danish flag and oh, nice. we've got a like Swedish it. flag as well. You know, that's great, brilliant. So yeah, I mean that's um, that's great. And in terms of um, the current time, so obviously Thomas Frank came in. When did he come in? Actually, when did he appointed? Do you remember uh, when it was? Thomas Frank came in. It was the it was the season that Aston Villa got promoted. So he a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Dean Smith took over from Aston Villa. Um, you know, I think it was 2019, probably something like yeah. that. You know, yeah. the year before the. Um, so he's he's yeah. done pretty well in a very short space of time. You missed out. I think I was gutted for you guys. I really wanted to see you come up. Missed against, out on that playoff, didn't on, you? Against the F word, yeah. Against them, yeah. <laughs> you can't say it. You know yeah, as well. We, we had a song, didn't you, when you, the following year, you did go up and bees the up, F word down. came down. Yeah. Bees up, Fulham down. Bees up, Fulham bees down. Up, is bees up, bees up, bees up, bees up, Fulham down. <laughs> That's a great song, to be honest. It's perfect, isn't it? The London thing, everything else. Yeah, so your, your lovely friends swapped places with you and you came up. Tell us about that period then, missing out the playoffs, succeeding in the playoffs, and the, these first few weeks in the Prem. How's it been? I'll tell you something, that, that, that year, that team, this one that we, we got to the playoff, um, the pandemic year, in effect, we yeah. had actually just sold to you, Mr. Neil Malpay. Yes, indeed. You've asked me about Neil, who I love. I love Neil Malpay. Oh, I do. As he well. is yeah. such a top, top, top bloke. Yeah. He does not give a monkey's, right? <laughs> he really doesn't. And he's the type of player that you want in your team. And we're all a bit scared that Neil was going to come and do something very horrible to us because that's the kind of thing that he does. <laughs> well, we're hoping. Like, we're hoping, Billy. Right, I'm yeah. going to tell you something before I go on about that. I've got to tell you a story about Nalpay, and this is 100% true, okay? So, right, so Nalpay, you know what he's like. So, he's basically, we played Leeds, and Leeds, they like a moan, okay? They just love a moan, <laughs> right? So, we're up at Leeds, and. Um, and I, th- I think actually, might, I'm not sure if it might have been the season when um, it might have been the season that the game that um, I'm not sure if it's the game that um, Dean Smith left actually. I can't remember anyway. But I think it must have been. So Neil Malpay's up at Leeds, right? He's gone up at Leeds, and uh, 
we've got, I think we got a penalty. I'm pretty sure that we got a penalty where Ollie Watkins, you know, he got tripped. And Leeds, if, listen, if you go down for a penalty, it's all over. Leeds fans are just like, oh, you know, it's like the internet. It's just, it's just going to go mental, right? You know what I'm saying? So Leeds, you know this with the Ben White thing. Oh, they have, they've, they've gone, they've piled in. So anyway, Ollie Watkins, they've said that he's dived, right? So they've gone mental. Got fans have gone mental. Like that. I think, I'm pretty sure it's what happened. So we got the penalty. I'm pretty sure that Malpay, when he took the penalty, so he got the penalty, he went up and he yeah. scored the penalty and he scored. If, it, if not, it was the following year when he scored anyways. anyway. But he scored, yeah. he's run over to the Leeds fans and he's put his arms out wide, literally right in front of him. I saw this, yeah. Right in front of the Leeds fans and you can see them throwing things up. But he didn't care. It's like, you know, he put his arms out like he's been, you know, like, like he's on the cross, like crucified. And of course, we've all gone mad going, oh my God, I can't believe what he's done. So anyway, after that, he got absolute dog abuse for like not one week or two weeks or three weeks for about six months right from Leeds fans just going mad and also we had things like they they were doing petitions in parliament for the referee to be kind of banned from football and all sorts of nonsense. Like, honestly <laughs> that it, was, sounds it, was, so Leeds. it was just so it was just like a really weird period you know what I'm saying yeah. they just did not let it lie so roll on about six months later I'm in the, the team hotel before the, the match we're just hanging out with my mate you know we just he, he, he was coming over from the Middle East actually, so he was staying at that hotel, so I was having a drink with him, all the players are there, and, you know, I know a few of them, so I've gone down, oh, I'm like, alright, oh, Neil, how are you doing? Like, you know, we were playing Derby County that day, and he's like, going, oh, it's good, and I, and I thought, <laughs> the previous time I'd spoken to him, his English wasn't very good, but his English had improved a lot, so I thought, oh, I can actually chat to you now, so I was chatting to him, and, and we just started talking about football and things, and he was like, really cool, and he was really thoughtful and thinking about it, yeah. and I said, I'll tell you something, you need to, we need to beat Derby today because like, they're on this next level mission, they think that they're like, so we just need to, okay, yes, okay, we'll beat them. And I said to him, tell you what, I like this when we played Leeds, right? what happened? Because like, you remember, you, and you went, you went in front of Leeds fans and you did that, and they all, and he went, it's amazing, yes, when I played Leeds, yes, and then I got abuse for so long, for like, it was a very long time, they just kept on abusing me on, so, and I said, yeah. Yeah, they, that's, it's amazing. And I said to him, I said, so um, I said, so look, we're playing Leeds next week, Tuesday night. Okay, we're going to play Leeds. I said, we've got to beat them. So I said, so if we beat them, if you go there, you've got to score a goal. And if you score a goal, you've got to go in front of their end and you've got to put your hands up like the same thing. He goes, okay then. <laughs> like I'm saying. And I just thought, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like I'm saying. So next minute, we've gone and played Leeds, right? And they're still gunning for playoffs at that stage. Oh. We've gone and beaten them. He's gone, scored a goal gone in front of their end, he's done it again, and I was going, no, you've not done it again, and he stood there and he did it, and I was, I thought, I was just, I was crying with laughter, but the thing that was even better, is I'm pretty sure you played Leeds recently, and it was behind closed doors, because it's during the pandemic, and when you played them, and Malpe scored a goal, and when he scored a goal, he ran over to the pretend Leeds end, and he put his hands up again, and I was, no, he's done it again. I just thought, can you imagine if, uh, if he does it for us as well? You're gonna think that it's gonna have a personal, long-term <laughs> hatred thing going on. That was brilliant. Easy. But anyway, that was just talking about some shit house as we call it. That's right. Yeah. So, so Malpay's gone. Ollie, uh, and we tried to get in. Um, uh, we actually tried to get in. I can't remember who we tried to get in, but we they didn't. We didn't get in last minute. Um, I think it was Godos actually. It might have been that we tried to get in. We've actually got in now. So we tried yeah. to get him in. We didn't. Last minute, it all fell apart. We also tried to get in. Calm, um, um, Lyle Taylor as well last minute as well that fell apart so we had no striker coming last minute on the season that we so we were like Jesus we haven't replaced Malpay we've done really well elsewhere what are we going to do so 
um, it was uh, Thomas Frank went to um, Ollie Watkins and said, look, I know Ollie, I know you're not playing in the middle, but uh, you are now, mate. Yeah, because he was playing wide, right? And he said, and so I remember Ollie Watkins went to and said, listen, everybody, be patient with me. I've never done this before, but I'm going to be trying to be a striker now. So just give me, you know, give me a bit of time. Just be really patient. I remember he was like really polite, so, you know. Yeah. So at the time we were thinking, look, and the first few weeks it was a little bit kind of, oh, like they're not that great. And Brentford did their usual slow start. And I think he scored a hat-trick against Barnsley, it was on TV, and then it kind of all kicked off from there. And we had a great season because we had the infamous BMW, Ben Rumo, Ben Rumo, Ben Rumo and Watkins. And also we had Josh De Silva as well, who copped him with 12 or 14 goals, and then three, you know, 55 goals between them. They were brilliant. And the football we played was brilliant that season. And to be honest with you, we should have just gone up because we were just, we were just brilliant. The football was fantastic. But the thing is that we had that little kind of side to us where somebody like Nottingham Forest, cheeky as they are, always come down to two bets at four, do a bit of shit housing, you know, you can't break through it. Next minute they do the break, score a goal, Joe Lolly or bloody what's his name, you know, Matty Cash or whoever it may be, scores a goal, one nil, and you just can't break them down. And you're like really frustrating them. We had a lot of those games because again, you know, if you're stats based like where we are, you talk about having lots of possession, creating lots of chances, but don't put them in the back of the net. And that's what we used to do a lot. So that season we played brilliant football, but we didn't get promoted. And I was very gutted because I think if we went up and we had, we would know what we need to do to reinforce. I think we would have done very well in the in the Premier League, probably kind of in a similar way that town needs had done well because we were quite a similar side. So that was gutting losing to the F word, you know, in, uh, in, in the playoff final with a, such yeah. a good team because we knew that Ollie Watkins was going to go and Ben Rahm was going to go, we're going to break it up. You must um, have been worried that you wouldn't be able to quite achieve the same levels well, losing you, a couple of players. Yeah, or, or but, were you? Yeah, but the thing is that we always replaced, you know, from Andre yeah. Gray, then we replaced him, then, you know, Scott Hogan, then we replaced him, and Lasse Beaver, then we replaced him, then, you know, Malpay replaced him, you know, so we kind of always done it, so we were kind of a bit relaxed with that. And they said, Ivan Tony had come in, we got him in early, come in with a good rep. We thought, listen, this guy actually looks like the, the real deal, you know. So we just thought, we'll see how it goes. And what we found is that the, the last season, we actually, if you look at the stats, we were actually a, we were a better side, I think goals-wise, defence-wise, everything like that, we were a better side. Um, but we weren't as good on the eye, we weren't as pleasing on the eye as we were the previous year. But what we'd learnt to do is we learnt to stop losing them 1-0 games. We were a little bit cleverer, a little bit more cynical, but we were just a little bit cleverer on the ball. And we, 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 we were almost like defence first. Yeah. Let's start defending and making sure we build from the back first, and if we can hit the win, we can do. So that's why we actually ended up having quite a lot of draws off in about February when we weren't playing particularly well. We weren't winning, but we weren't, particularly, we weren't necessarily losing the whole time. So that was quite good for us. And we actually ended up with more points last season. We ended up in 87 points, finishing third. The previous season, we finished on 82 points, finishing third. West Brom, the previous season, got promoted automatically on 83 points, finishing second. And we got 87 points, finishing third place. So it kind of, kind of shows you where the... Yeah, the, you know. I mean, we, we missed out on promotion. I think we had a points total which almost every year had been enough for auto promotion. Yeah. And we missed out to Middlesbrough. Um, ultimately, because we lost 3 0 at home earlier in the season, yeah, yeah. which should have been a 2 0. And we lost out on a single goal difference. Yeah. So that obviously one, one each way would have meant we would have gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We only got the draw up there on the final day of the season. Horrible, horrible time. So we felt awful. We wondered if we were ever going to go again. We did go again, Chris Hewton, second season, full season with us, and we managed to go the extra step. 
in hindsight, I think it benefited us that we didn't go up that previous year because I think we were more likely to have come straight back down. The second year, the one when we did go up, I think better equipped us to survive, yeah. which obviously we did. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you reckon there's something equivalent with Brentford to, in hindsight, do you think? Because you had more points total the, yeah. the previous year, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we it, did as well. If, well, you, actually, if you talk to Matthew Benham, he'll say no. Because yeah. he would say, all he'll say is that we would have gone up, we would have bought the players to do what we really need yeah. to do. So that's the argument there. You can never say... You it. never know for you, sure. You, you never know for sure. I, I, I think that what I would say is that the fact that we have gone up after that last season, we learnt a lot in that yeah. season. We really, really did as fans and on the pitch. Yeah. They, yeah. And for me, that learning curve, you, you can never be that. So it's, it's well, set us up. That's why I think it does help. I think it's given you more mental strength. The fact you've gone again yeah. and succeeded, that's given you greater resolve and confidence and uh, and mental strength in general, yeah. I think. It, yeah. All those players that were still with you yeah. in that second season yeah. will have learned all of that. What I will say, and a lot of people say, will say also, you're just saying that because you know, you've know you gone up following the season, but I will say this for now. I've seen all of nine Brentford playoff losses, and then it came to that 10th one, and I wasn't sure if we are going to win it or not. Mm. Um, with the ninth one against Fulham, you know, we're sitting in the pub watching it. You know, I've been at all the pre sorry, I've been at all the previous ones, and that ninth one, I'm sitting in the pub watching it, thinking, Scott, we've got to beat Fulham, we've got to beat Fulham, we've got to beat Fulham. We're in the pub, we lose to Fulham. Literally, the television goes off straight away. So, if I was in the stadium, I'd have been inside there. You'd have to see their celebrations. You have to see the full Monty. You'd have to come out. You have to walk past the Fulham fans who are singing and dancing in your face, singing up, you know, Fulham up, Brentford down, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I didn't go for any of that because the television went off, and then I had a few drinks and then I probably went home and I literally forgot that game within a couple of days and I was over it and a lot of people said no nah, you couldn't have been but I literally was over it because the pandemic it made it easier to get over that because it almost wasn't real you know what I'm saying and the following season as well because the fact is that Fulham went up and they never saw any games live so as a Brentford fan who's never been up can you, can you imagine how horrible it would be for you to watch all your yeah. games against Man United and Liverpool and all that lot on TV I wouldn't be having it I, I would rather you know yeah. and, and I'd say that and I said that at the time I'd rather I, we actually did a poll at the side would you rather wait a year and see all the games or go up be guaranteed to go up now and, and watch the games on TV and a lot of Brentford fans said well if we're guaranteed to go up the following year I'd guaranteed to go up whereas I'd ask the Leeds fans and again this is not just because I've got very good Leeds fans as well what would you rather and they said we want to go up we go up now because for us it's, it's all about being there whereas, whereas for us it's about the celebration and the journey and the going to the match so for me going up and going to that playoff semi-final against Bournemouth which was wicked at home when we were 2-0 down in aggregate and we should have lost what we didn't and sports score that last goal at the end and everyone went mental four and a half thousand in the stadium just going absolute bonkers that was just for me was the best you know, and then there was another one when, and then we went to Wembley afterwards, and we were actually in Wembley, and so that was just the best because you know we never got that the year before. And I actually talk about this a lot of that on this. this there's a podcast called Life Goals. I don't know if you know it by Theo Delaney, Delaney yeah. as well. So I was on that a few weeks ago. I've quite a lot on that. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah. yeah, but you should check it out definitely. And I talk quite a lot about the old days. I talk quite a lot about this. We talk about England in a minute as well, about all the trips. And there's quite a lot, quite a funny story. There's a funny Chris Kamara story in there as well. With me, me, <laughs> there usually is. Me, 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 me trying to bribe Chris Kamara, actually, who was, who was one of my favourite players at Brentford. And I came across him a few years later. We should definitely out life stories by Theo Delaney. And there's also a funny story about me at the David Beckham's uh, party before the World Cup, the Japanese party that he did. That I sort of bunked into as well. 
before uh, before the Japan, the Japan World Cup. It's, uh, it's quite hilarious. Oh, you've made a bet, haven't you? Yeah, I stepped, on his, I stepped on his foot at his party and uh, Victoria Beckham wasn't very happy. Then I, I snuck into an, an, a Hello Magazine photo shoot and uh, they had no idea who I was. And I've appeared, I've got, I've got the thing, I might post it up on social media actually. It's, it's, yeah. quite, it's quite funny. It's quite bad. I've got, that's a various. I'm I've going off on a tangent. The nearest yeah. I've come to that is nearly tripping Tony Bloom over when he was holding a glass of red wine, which could have gone badly wrong. That was about my uh, claim to, to fame yeah. for me. But yeah, yeah no, that's, I mean, that's, that's great stories. As you said, Wembley, it was, it was Swansea, was it? Uh, yeah. For the playoff final. Oh, um, unbelievable, unbelievable. So, it's, so what it did is that, and, t- t- and, and again, I think Brighton fans will understand this. I actually went to Brighton versus Man United FA Cup final, 4 0, I think it was. Oh, um, you went to Yeah, I was there. I, bunked, I used to bunk into Wembley Stadium every year. <laughs> so I actually bunked into that one. And every year I used to go to nice Wembley. down the road, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, so I, I, there was a way of getting in those days and I knew how to do it. So I remember <laughs> doing that and I remember seeing all the, the Brighton players walking around before the, in, in the in, just around the, around the corridor before the game. Because, I, because when you bunk in early, you have to walk around to pretend so that you don't you know because yeah. I didn't have anywhere to be so I just was walking around like I was maybe official and yeah. I, was, I remember seeing the Brighton players walking around them before, yeah. before the game actually but anyway that's a, that's, a, that's a side issue so going to Wembley just, just a brilliant feeling but the feeling was afterwards was coming out of that stadium and I'm thinking every time we went to Wembley there was or went to, the, went to one of the Brentford Cup finals that we always lost it would always be a big, and, and you might remember this as a Brighton fan, it was always a big party. So what you'd do is that you'd turn up and you'd have a big drink beforehand and you'd invite loads of people that don't normally go to the game and you're probably getting fancy, fancy dress and you do all that nonsense, you know what I'm saying? And you go out and you have a brilliant day and then you lose and then you go home and you're really unhappy, you know what I'm saying? So we're, we're used to sort of coming out of that stadium really unhappy, losing after basically having all these people that turn up at the game that don't actually sing, so they kill the atmosphere for you and all that kind of stuff. This year, we just, it was like only the hardcore, because it's because of COVID, so it's only the hardcore yeah, will turn up. Numbers, so Great, so they've all yeah. turned up. We're all, like, all the Swansea are turning up, cameras, taking photographs and selfies in front of Wembley. Brentford fans, no interest, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we've done this nine times before. We're just going to turn up, meet our mates, have a drink, go in, sing, sing them to victory, go home, like, you know? So the feeling was very much that. Because you, you've got a record of horrendousness haven't you in terms of the playoffs terrible or you did have terrible you, have. Yeah. you know so, so the funny thing is that we've won and because we've won no one, no one knows what to do <laughs> so we've come out the stadium and you see this Brentford fans who is so used to so used to like you know just used to yeah, moaning and yeah. does that ever so they've done that and all of a sudden name right of number name right of number yeah he's beaten up there <laughs> so, oh. so they've done that and so the Brentford fans and so all of a sudden I'm walking out, you know, and I'm walking out. The you know, I'm walking out. No, no, listen, I've been. We've got somebody who's gate crashing the party here yeah, as well. We'll like talk about say. why we'll you talk probably about it heard another bit of audio in a minute. Yeah. And so, and, <laughs> and so the and they were, you know, like they're walking around, like they were just like spaced out because they didn't know what to do. So they were going like this, like that, because normally you come out and you're moaning. But there's no more moaning going on anymore because they because we won. It was it was a really really weird feeling because I, I literally didn't know what to do didn't should i sing should yeah. should i hug should i and people just go yeah we, we've won like, yeah. you know yeah. we're talking about we're joined by my mate Addy, who's an arsenal fan uh, who's just come on the on the very tail end of billy here brentford fan talking about the playoff victory last season 
Paddy Vaselli with know, the introductions on, on our hands. I know that you don't want me to mention the Arsenal uh, and the Brentford. Yeah, it's perfect so timing, Paddy. So, you so, couldn't have so I'm going to do the manners and I'm not going to mention the Brentford and the Arsenal <laughs> at all, just because you're, you're a very a nice man. So yeah. <laughs> ideal, ideal timing, isn't it? <laughs> we were Thank just coming on to talking about how it's been in the first few games in the Premier League. Oh, well, actually, uh, then you talk about the Arsenal so, game, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's so, not fair. So, no, listen, so, listen. For us, 40 years it's been for me to get to this point, right? And I never thought I was going to get here. You asked me 10 years ago, so absolutely no way. I'd be laughing in your face. Five years ago, even three years ago, actually three years ago, you think we might get there sometime. But when you finally get there, it was a, it's like, wow, we're here. And that Wembley feeling was like, wow, we're here. And we went back and we stayed up all night in the, at the Globe. And so there you go, we just parted yeah, all night. Yeah, I heard your podcast. That's yeah, right, yeah. It was quite lively, like to say. <laughs> but then after that, you know, we had to have the reality of actually being in the Premier League. So the first reality was bang, fixtures yeah. drop, yeah. bang, first fixture is wow, it's the game that I wanted as the first fixture. Yeah. Arsenal at home because we've not played Arsenal at Griffin Park, yeah. well, in my yeah. lifetime. And I've got lots of Arsenal friends. I used yeah. to live in Stoke Newington around the corner. So for me, this is the one. So I'm delighted at the start. And then you start buying the players in, you know, you've got Ayo who's coming from Celtic. What's he like? He sounds like he's a bit of a Rolls-Royce defender. He sounds all right. Frank the Tank on Yeka, he sounds like a lively number. You know, um, Bert Harris, all the other players that we brought in. So you start getting the excitement of building your squad from what you've got already. But then you've got the question marks. Well, Canos actually hack it in the Premier League because, you know, he got injured last season and he came back and sometimes he does try a bit hard. So whether or not he's going to settle down and you know things like that whether or not our defense is going to be okay whether or not you know Ivan Tony's going to be marked out the game is he going to be you know, all these questions are in your head and you've got no idea you, literally you really don't and also these other pundits that you hear them speaking right and it makes me laugh when I listen to pundits at the beginning of the season because they all give it large like they know everything right they know nothing whatsoever right so they, they they tell you that they know about this and that and the other and they're telling you about and I've seen it before when we got promoted and they're saying, yeah, they haven't got a championship ready manager, so they're not going to do this. And, oh, they've got this Andre Gray from Luton and they're not going to do well because of this and the other. And we've come in and we smashed everybody up and they've gone, oh, what's this all about? And I'm thinking, what was your, where was, what was your facts based on? It's just based on just you and bluster, you know what I'm saying? So sometimes you've just got to have a little bit of faith in yourself and your setup and what you're doing and maybe trust the people around you and just and, and also just enjoy the moment. So for me, when we get promoted, I'm thinking, and we've, and we've got Arsenal, I've got no idea what we're going to be like. People talk about the fixture list and it's the, the computer throws this fixture up or that fixture. They don't. I'm pretty sure they give newly promoted sides. Oh, they do. Because the Norwich have had yeah, Liverpool two years and two, haven't they? We had City first game, you've had Arsenal. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure those things are great. And City for me was great. I've said it before on the pod. It was great because that was the team that was the, the best side and probably still are uh, in the division. And coming up, this, this are my team with admittedly improved players, but still my team is coming up against that lot. You'll think of wow. And it was just fascinating to see how we'd interact, how we'd be able to cope. And we, we went toe to toe with them and we kept them quiet for most of the game, made a couple of mistakes, lost 2 0. But I loved that game because I thought, this is amazing. We played that team, kept them quiet for 70 minutes. I was loving the, the notion that we were actually at least competing with a team like that. When it came to your game, I thought, okay, you could give an Arsenal. I'm sorry, Eradi, but right. I did think no that's, again, it's another fixture, similar type of fixture for them to pick. 
but I thought you've got a chance here. I, I must admit, I went for the draw. I thought the draw. Because no, I, I thought you'd probably be a bit unlucky and it would have been one where you should have won, but it'll end up as a draw. So when you won it, I, have to, I do have to say, sorry, Addy, I was, I know, I was yeah. delighted. Yeah, I was pretty good. So great club. Lovely, lovely fans. Great, yeah. As you can see from this man here. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a happy day for I wanted a, I wanted it to draw. I would have been happy. Yeah. Because I'm not being funny. Premier League, Arsenal, draw, you'll be happy. That's still a very good team. No idea, but the thing, tell you something, this is the thing, I don't think necessarily it tipped it, but the one thing I knew, and I'd said it because, again, this is the other thing as well, you turn up and all of a sudden it's like you've got like TVs from all over the world kind of like winging you up and getting you to do bits and pieces. So the one thing I said to them, I said to them, the one thing I can tell you, I can't tell you what we're going to be like when we walk out the pitch, but the thing I can tell you about as fans, we are party for it, I said, you know what I'm saying? We have done the back end of that season, we did the playoff semi-final, the final. We've already, we've done our training already. We've already been on the terraces. A lot of these other fans, they've not been out on the terraces for 18 months, but we've already done a few matches and we've, we've already got it in our system. So I said, so I can trust you from 45 minutes before that game, we're gonna be in that stadium making noise and it was great right and it was great and it that's what great right, you know? sounded great it was great and normally i'm normally in the stadium either two minutes before or five minutes after the game that's 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 kind yeah. of what you do but not that game so everyone was up for it so i think with the arsenal game we were really up for it we were ready for it the players were ready for it thomas frank as you saw he was ready for it and we were on the ter on the terraces we were making some noise and arsenal weren't ready for it and i that really surprised me as a team because i would have thought uh, I'm not being funny, you've been all over the world, you've been to all over these different places as a team, you should be ready. And I saw the excuses from a lot of Arsenal fans, we listened to a couple of Arsenal podcasts afterwards, and they were saying, oh yeah, but it's fair, the Brentford fans were like really noisy, and they make a lot of noise, and you know, it kind of disrupted us. And I was thinking, what, what, what are you saying? What, what are you, that's, that's real, the football. that's what it's all about. Apart you know? from the previous couple of seasons. You know, it's, not, it's not fair, you know, yeah. they've, had a, they've got an advantage because they had their fat. And I just thought this is like this is like really weird. I, I'm, you know, is this what the Premier League's going to be like? You know, people kind of moaning that your your fans are too loud. I guess like, part you know? of what they're saying is it was that first game. The fans were going to be that bit more up for it. So it was a tough gig for Arsenal. I would say, fairness, to play you in the first game as opposed to. November. But, they, but, they, but you got, I thought you've got to be professional enough to deal exactly, with it, like yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, so, so it was a great introduction to the Premier League. I had a great day. My friends had a great day. I had my daughter, she had a couple of friends there. Yeah. And we sang all the way through. We competed. I actually only watched a game back a couple of days ago, actually, to be quite honest with you. I sat down and watched the whole thing, like, you know, yeah. and uh, it was very good. Because you, you know what I think? If you look at your Sky Plus, probably, you've got about sort of like, 720 games and you never watched yeah, any of them back watched, yeah. they're all terrible yeah. but this is one that i made sure yeah. that i watched back on and it was and it was great and to be fair i thought in the second half actually arsenal were actually all right a lot of people really slated them but in the half, second half with emil smith rowe gave us a few problems tierney gave us a few problems we just basically just like defended like trojans and we i think we did really well but i think that you know if arsenal have got a goal and i'm being you know i'm being fair here now as well you know, if Arsenal got a goal, then maybe it might have been a, a different story, but that, that, that didn't happen. I mean, their defending was terrible, you know, and, uh, and Ivan, Ivan Tony versus uh, flipping £50 million um, Ben White, you know, your old boy, mate, you, you, you rinsed them hard, mate, you know what I'm saying? You rinsed <laughs> no them <problem>. hard. <laughs> £50 million. 
you know, I've been there, we get old, so good. We're ringing you, we're ringing you up, going, excuse me. You know that, but can, can we, can you just give us a bit of that back, please? Like, in the seat, can we, uh... Yeah, that's right. Blue was that, sorry, mate, I've sold it already, I've spent that already. It'll come good over time. But I mean, just, just to round off, because we'll have a quick break and I'll probably get you a drink and Addy, I think. But um, just, just to round off, next couple of games, couple of away games in a row, are two of the noisiest grounds, I think. It really makes me cringe to say in one of those two cases, but in particular, Selwyn's Park, Villa Park, and you've come out with a couple of draws off the back of that win against Arsenal. Yeah. So it's a good start to the season in yeah, general, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Five yeah, points unbeaten. Yeah. After the three games, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you won the League Cup match as well. No, no, that's so, right. Yeah, good yeah. start to the season. It is a good start to the season, yeah. but we are. Listen, I'm, I'm excited because I'm allowed to be excited because I've been waiting four years for this, so yeah. I can brag about my team. I could jump about my team. I'll be smart, but I'm also under no illusions that we can lose the next 37. And I'll be honest with you, you know what I'm saying we could do, you know, or we can draw, you know, one of them and lose our 36. Like, you know? Rafa's promotion has been a long time in the uh, yeah. coming. I was going to say 35, actually. Yeah. Is it 35, is it? Oh, <laughs> See, I'm, I don't even, so have, I don't even have any, any idea how many games you play in this league. You don't actually seem to play that's any football yeah. at all. You're getting less fanny for money on your season ticket. There's less games. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking everyone's sitting in their seat up because like, no one seems to play any football in yeah. this league in the championship. Literally, you wake up, it's like, there's another game. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, you know? That's the thing I both love and hate about the championship, being a season ticket holder not living in the local area. Area. It's a big slog to go down for loads of midweek matches. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to have a quick break there. I'm going to refill. I don't know if you can hang on just briefly a little bit longer, Billy, to talk about England. I can have a little short, little swift half, and then we'll, yeah, short we'll little swift in, and um, and then we can uh, we can round off with a little bit of a preview of the game as well, just for a moment or two. Back in just a moment. So that, in fact, ends that episode. We will be back, but not in a moment, probably in a day or two. Because that swift half, well, it was a half, but it wasn't that swift. We did stay chatting for a fair bit longer, so we thought we'd better break it up into a separate episode, which we'll publish a day or so after this one. Uh, Billy did stick around. So did my Arsenal supporting mate, Addy. We chatted England. We chatted racism and football. And we chatted about the upcoming game at the weekend between Brentford and the Albion, talking through our predictions so that's coming up in the next episode but as far as this one goes thanks for listening stand or fall up the albion sports social podcast network okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.